Hello, everybody. Welcome to the new bonus episodes, or the bonus series, for the second season. Um, I attended the Costa Rican Big Data School, and, you know, I thought that maybe, maybe, <laughs> some of you can take some value out of this. Um, you know, many aspiring computer scientists and software engineers would really benefit from the things that they talk about in this event. This was a five-day event from Monday through Friday, um, from 8 to 4, <laughs> so it was pretty extensive, and they talked about a lot of different subjects and, uh, you know, very important things that you got to know in this day and age with big data and data science and data analysis. So I thought, you know what, I'll put this up. Maybe some of my listeners can take advantage of this and can benefit from listening to really, really high-end professors uh, from the... Texas Advanced Computing Center. Um, so, our instructors will be Weiya Shu. He's a PhD and the group lead for data mining and statistics group. Prior to joining TAC, he obtained a master's degree in biological sciences and a doctoral degree in computer science from the University of Texas at Austin. Then there's also Charlie Day. Charlie Day is the Director of Training and Professional Development with the User Services Group at TAC with a background in web development and scientific computing. Charlie's responsibilities at TAC include organizing, developing content, and building curriculums for TAC's academic course selection taught in conjunction with several departments at the University of Texas at Austin, as well as for TAC's professional development and educational team. Oh well. Oh, and just a quick thanks to Danny Sie, who was the one who recorded these uh, segments. Without him, we wouldn't have this awesome bonus round. <laughs> so thank you very much and enjoy. So hello, um, I'm Bei Jiaxu. I will start the next sessions. So the next session will be focusing on introduction to the Hadoop clusters. So before I start, I first I want to give a little bit introduction about myself. Um, I'm a UT graduate. I graduate UT from I get my PhD degree from UT Austin. Uh, then after that, I start work for UT Austin as well. So I have been staying with the UT for almost 20 years now. So now I'm a research scientist and uh, a, a group manager for the data mining and statistics groups. Uh, so my group is responsible for a lot of the support on data analysis and machine learning by Catech. So mostly my group's uh, responsibility dividing over two things. Uh, one is uh, the support of the data and the machine learning resources at TAC. So Charlie has given you a uh, generic overview about TAC infrastructures in the previous sessions. So there's a number of machines that uh, uh, our group's directly responsible, including the Rambler machines, which we use for data intensive computations, and also the Rustler, which is the Hadoop clusters. Uh, we are also uh, support two uh, machines for the deep learning called Maverick and Maverick 2. Uh, and we have uh, our biggest machine, like Stampy 2. A lot of people running data analysis and machine learning on there as well. So that's where we run, we have our data set and machine support on those machines as, as well. Um, in addition to supporting users to using our machines and the resources, and we also have a lot of the collaborations with the users use our machine. So we don't want to be a place just give you say, we have this gigantic machine or this infrastructure for you to use. 
and without telling you how to use them. So we also collaborating with users on a variety of the projects. So that's the projects that Charlie also gave the quick overview of ways, like something from the uh, astronomy to high, high energy physics and the two transportation problems. Uh, if you have time, and I may be able to go through some of the more project in details. Um, but go back to what we are here today is uh, we do those collaborations and we support users and we also do trainings and education, uh, education activities like this to educating other people what good about the big data analysis and what good about the machine learnings. Um, so this slide lists the several tools and the tutorials we have been supporting and running from our group. Um, so those are some very popular tools and we see user has been using in our, uh, using our resources. Uh, the first line is a common programming language. Uh, we support Python, Java, R, and Scala. So in these courses, we will primarily focus on the Python programming language. So that's where, when, Char when in the afternoon sessions, Charlie will go give uh, in-depth uh, uh, tutorials on Python programming aspect as well. Um, but if you are already a programmer in another programming language like Java, Scala, or R, we're also providing support. In fact, many of the tools you see in this page, they have multiple programming interface where you can easily use different programming language together to do your data analysis. Um, so the second line is more on the system and common application. So there's a Hadoop and Spark. So that's the two things I'm going to introduce. Um, and also there are applications like Jupyter and Zetkin. Those are the higher level uh, notebook tools. So for these schools, we're trying to uh, let you guys to start using the Jupyters. Uh, I have some problem to get the Zetkin working, so if we can get out of my result, uh, I will also introduce Zetkin notebook and to be used as a, uh, a front end for the Spark clusters as well. So at the, at the lower levels, it's a several, uh, another more specialized tools like a Hive and a Storm. I think you guys may actually had a lecture about Hive yesterday, like a, a yes afternoon when we were here. Uh, we saw some guy was giving a lecture on Hue and how they connecting to Hive running Spark or running SQL queries. Uh, we also support Hive back in back attack. Uh, the last line is about the deep learning package we support. So we support two main deep learning package, the Cafe and the TensorFlow. Um, so on the last day, on the last, on the last session, uh, on the last session in the morning on Friday, uh, I will give a, a quick overview of the deep, uh, of the TensorFlow as well. Uh, what the deep learning about and how we may using the TensorFlow package with. Okay. Um, so with those so many software tools, and here is a view I would like to introduce to all the students. How we see uh, those things being connecting together, right? So. We have a, a basic understanding about our computers. So when you open your computers, your computers has a basic operating system like a Windows, Mac, or Linux, right? So on top of that, uh, you have a different ways to control your computer, to use your computers, like applications, like uh, methods, like tools, different tools you have in there. Um, so if you are getting into the big data analysis, there's really hundreds of, or maybe thousands of different tools or methods out there now. But I would like to introduce this view, where you can, is there a pointer? Yeah. So where you can see, like uh, right now, we can see Hadoop is more or less like uh, a operating system level. 
So the nowadays uh, Hadoop is more or less used as a baseline storage device, storage system, so where people can easily park their large scale of the data in that system. Um, then on top of that, you have a different programming language. Hadoop was a native implemented in Java and, and, uh, uh, and Spark can be run on top of the Hadoop and it's native implemented in Scala. But both of them has an interface to other data analysis language like Python and R here. Um, so on top of this basic programming language layers, we have a different libraries and to support machine learning and data analysis. Uh, for the Spark, the one used mostly commonly is the Spark ML Lib. Uh, that is what I'm going to introduce on Thursdays. Um, then on top of those algorithm libraries, programming language, you have a generic applications that are supporting people to use them with a different programming language interface. Like uh, uh, the Hive is a basically a SQL language interface. The Jupyter support multiple uh, programming language backend. The Zeppelin is supporting even more uh, programming language backend. Um, so if we have time, we are trying to hit a vertical introduction from Hadoop, Spark, Spark, Spark MLLab, and Zeppelin and Jupyters. Uh, that we will use them as a way to do the exercise and the demos. Um, on the last days, the deep learning wasn't being represented in these pictures. But deep learning is something sort of the independent with the big data analysis. But now there's a merge between HPC, big data, and the machine learning and deep learning being together. So we will introduce the deep learning as a very end and how they may be integrated back into these pictures and how we currently support them at Tag. Okay. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me and during my lectures and uh, I will try to go more details, explanations on a particular points. Okay. Yes. Well, so this is just uh, uh, how natively they were being implemented. Um, so Hadoop was a native Java programming language. And the Spark was natively implemented in Scala. So when people writing them, they writing them using Scala language. So we, we consider the Java and the Scala as a core programming language for the big data analysis. If you look at all the different tools, you will realize a lot of tools is, a, is a written in combination between Java and the C. So people using the C as a lower level libraries to support high, high efficiencies of execution, but the basic uh, code structures and programming was actually implemented and done using Java and Scala in the big data world. Um, so that's why we put them here. And the, but Spark has a really good interface to interfacing not only Scala, but also Python and R as well. So I'm sort of putting them outside that there. Um, <laughs> any other questions? Or, or people disagree or have some other thoughts about that? Um, so for me, it's a, it's, it's a more like a personal thing for me. So uh, for me, like the Java and the Scala is more like the programming language for the big data, where the Python is more like the programming language for the machine learning and deep learning now, because most of the tools you will be using um, for the deep learning, they all have a similar Python interface for you to use with. And similarly, R, is kind of the program language for statistical analysis. A lot of people doing statistical analysis are still using R for uh, as their basis and their core package. 
Um, so we do support in all three of language, and we do have expertise on, on all of those language here. Uh, but given the time and the, the different backgrounds, usually we only will pick up one language to be focused on, to introduce the people with. So sometimes we actually uh, do more focus on Scala. So in fact, you will see some of my slides, I'm still using the Java or Scala as examples, and just they were a better fit for some of the constructs that are being used in the Hadoop and the Spark concept. Uh, but for the uh, machine learning and deep learning one, most of the code example will be more focused on the Python. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. So, um, so since this is really like an old question, what is a big data, right? Um, I guess you guys had some fundamental introduction yesterday, so you should have a good understanding about what is big data. Anyone want to answer that or share your thoughts on this? What is big data? Don't be shy. <laughs> Go, go ahead. It went from four Vs? Yeah, four V, okay. I think I may have five V here. So do you seven, recall seven, that four seven, Vs? We have four or seven. Okay. Yeah, so how, how many of you actually recall like was those four V or seven Vs? I, I'll go for four Vs. Okay. Which, yeah. Volume, variety, and something with precision. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what the four Vs you are talking about, right? So volume, velocity, variety, and opacities. So those sp speaks for like a four different uh, major characteristics of the big data analysis. The volume speaks to when we talk about the big data, the first keyword is a big. So the volume speaks to the size of the data there. And the velocity speaks to the how quickly the data can be accumulated through different technology or different ways how people generating them. The variety speaks to the nowadays the big data analysis is not about analyzing one type of data like say numerical data, but a lot of projects we are dealing with we're dealing a different type of the data like videos, image, text, and more more commonly we need to processing all those data together at the same time. Um, so there is a heterogeneous of the data analysis over different data types. And the last one is a really like a more like a technical challenge. Is, uh, it's easier for you to say have access to a big data, right? Say I can go to Facebook and downloading all the thing or again easily monitoring your Twitter feed to get in the data. But uh, I, at the same time, a lot of those data might be less contains less information, but a lot of more noise. So that's another characteristic about the big data there. Um, so the first V is uh, the, the four V and the, or five V or seven Vs you are being introduced. Uh, is kind of the key things that uh, defines the big data. But a lot of people comes to our centers for help. They don't necessarily to have the gigantic data size, and they do not necessarily have a, uh, a very big problem to start with. So for us, uh, what I want you to actually think about is uh, the big data, when you have a big data problem, is when your existing analysis method or tools cannot handle them anymore. So you need a, a new method or new tools and a new ways trying to analyze those data. So whenever you feel your data 
it's too too much for you to handle, then you have a big data regardless of your the absolute size of your data, right? So give you examples, we have a project from the English department where people, the, the professor used to just using an Excel file as their database and trying to do analysis, but now their data is too much to fit in that Excel sheet and they need to come for a new solution. And for her, that is a big data problem, right? So here we will deal all kind of the big data problem there. And also a lot of the data problems is not like big to start with. Some is actually maybe really small and really trivial problems when uh, to start with, but it's getting much, much more challenging when the data getting much bigger. Um, so in the big data world, and uh, there's a, you know, when you go to learn any programming language, you may be the first example you are being introduced is a hello world, where they teach you how you can print out hello world, that, that sentence using other programming language. It, the equivalent in a big data analysis is a word count. So the problem itself is a perfect example of how a simple problems can be much challenging to solve when the data size is getting much bigger, right? So the basic problem is uh, giving you a text document. Uh, I want you to count how many unique words in that document and in what frequencies, right? Um, so if so, the input is a text file. The output is list of word, uh, and then followed by the number of the word of being uh, occurred in that documents. Um, so this is a really simple problems. If you have been through any programming language, and you probably have one or two, maybe three solutions already in mind, right? So you can just simply do a scan, linear scan of each word having a hash table and to do the counting with it, or you can build up some index, or right? So there's a, a number of ways when you can really easily solve this type of problems when the problem is small. Um, but what if the input data file is really big, right? So if we're talking about just one small document, then there's a number of ways we can solve them. But if the input data file is really big, like one terabyte, then you, you will realize you encountered a lot of different problems. Like you can, your hash, uh, hash table solution may not be able, may not viable anymore because you cannot fit that big of the data set into your memory, into your hash. And then you encounter the problem on if you do a linear scan, reading each word of your text documents need your consideration how to do it more efficiently. Otherwise, you may spend hours just to, on the disk I.O. trying to reading those things off. So this is a perfect example on how when the data volume gets bigger, a, a simplest problem can get much harder and there's a lot of more issues being raised up and it requires the people's attention to solve them. Uh, even now, you may say one terabyte may not be a big deal and uh, my laptop may comes with one terabyte hard drive or even more now, but that your hard drive will never catch up with how much data the big data can grow up, right? So if you can, you think you can easily solve your one terabyte problem with your laptop or about one petabyte of data, right? So, so that's the fundamentals about the big data is all the increasing of the data volume producing this gap between your current solutions from practical to impracticals, right? Um, so by the way, there is an interesting slide I already 
what try to ask people because when I give this example, some students will try to challenging to say there may not be that such a big tax debt side out there to begin with. So your problem may not be really there, not needed, right? So, um, so I I want to counter that question with uh, what the largest tax debt side that you know of? Anyone? The internet? Do you know how big the internet is? <laughs> Can you guess how big the internet it is? <laughs> so anyone have a guess on how big the internet is? Like terabytes, parabytes, exabytes, or? <laughs> okay, um, here are some couple of examples. So in the computer science, and we use a lot of public data site for a variety of reasons and the testing. So some of the very commonly used data sites, including Google Engram data site. So this is the data site Google starting as an open project. They are trying to scan um, as, as many as books as possible through different program, uh, different different language. Um, it's a public data site you can download from the Google's APIs. Um, and it's basically they scan all the, uh, the for the ngram data site. It's basically a word count of all the open books Google has collected. So they just process all the books they have and build up the different uh, word frequency, starting with the one word, two words, three words. So that captures how the how different phrase being used. And for this one, and the uh, for the one to five gram per language per year. It's about two terabytes compressed, and when you uncompress them, they became nine terabytes. Um, um, so that's uh, one of the uh, uh, data sites that people use a lot for text mining or NLP type of analysis to build language models. Um, you mentioned the internet. Uh, there are also a, in the information retrieval, there was a project that trying to crawl and as much as the internet as possible. Uh, the last uh, public available data site is called Clue Web 09, so it's done in 2009, so it's uh, already 10 years old. Uh, it's, it, they collect the text from over 1 billion web page, and for that one, if you uncompress them, they became 25 terabytes uncompressed. Um, so since it's, it's a, a data site from 10 years ago almost, um, so everyone will be curious how much of the web page we have in today. Um, five billions, <laughs> guys. Uh, it's actually we in the there is a statistics in 2016 that I think there's over 35 billion of the web page in the in the in the world worldwide right now. So, so today is almost end up to 2018. So there got to be much more data over there. So if you uh, multiply that by the uh, by the site, by the Clue Web 09, so there are basically at least uh, uh, 10 times more of the text data you can collect from uh, just from the internet. Okay. So, so go back to the examples we gave. Say, if we go back and to look closely, how the computational challenge really happens in the big data analysis is uh, one is uh, when you're dealing with an even simple problem. Uh, when the data growing much bigger and uh, you need more computational resources, like say, even you do the word count, right? So you need the funding. If you're going to do it for one terabyte or more, you, you do need to funding a storage device bigger enough to hosting them. 
And once you do, and uh, as soon as you start to do the processing to do the analysis, you realize you need much more than just one terabyte to analyze one terabyte data. Because you have so much of the intermediate data file you need to store, you have your result and you need to store. So the data, the resource requirement is basically a multiplier of the raw data you are going to, you need to handle. Then out of the, then from the storage, there's memory requirements, and you need more memory to be able to hide, to processing them efficiently. And then you need your process will generically taking much longer. So that's coming from. The, your limitation of how fast you can access in your data, but also word count is a really simple algorithm, but in the realities, in your actual problems, you're probably dealing with something much more complex. So for those complexity, for the complexity, uh, other more than linear complexities, the, date, the, the time required is basically going to exponentially increase with your size of your problem as well. Um, so putting them together is, that's the major challenge of the big data analysis. Uh, the resource requirements and the, the time and the way, uh, you, uh, the time you need it to processing them, right? Um, so, so what's the solution here, right? So the easy solution is really, um, what, we, what we have been talking about is about a single problem on the single computers. Then for the big data, it's all about the distributed processing. So if one computer takes uh, 10 years to solve some problem, if we give 10, then we cut that one to one year. If we give 1,000, we cut that for the shorter. So, so, so high or distributed processing is sort of the must for the big data problem. The, with the distributed processing, we can scale out our computational resources, both storage resources and the computational resources, uh, but also uh, cut, start to reduce the time we need from the uh, to, uh, from the input to the solutions, um, so this is a good idea to to fit the big data in the distributed computational world. Um, but when you when we start trying to think about how we exactly can do it, there's a lot of practical issues. Again, comes up is uh, we can easily putting up say hundreds of computers together, but for each problem, we also think about uh, some technical details like how we distributing those data and how we track which data is at where and how we coordinating all those parallel process. And all those technical issues is what the big data research about, is what the big data system try to solve for you. So uh, hopefully through these lectures and uh, what you realize is uh, big data analysis, the analytical method is nothing more than what you will do in your average laptop and the computers, and but they were just trying to be scaling. We uh, people just trying to scaling them out for the larger scale by scaling your simple analysis using multiple computers in a distributed ways. So like uh, so tools like Hadoop and Spark, their contribution is more on building that platform, building that framework to let users can easily scaling out. There's there are simple solutions over thousands of the computers for big problems. Okay. Um, so, so this is a traditional HPC uh, type of the cluster, and so I know Charlie mentioned a lot about we have this, we have that, we have uh, two thousand computers, we have so many nodes. But I bet not many of you have actual ideas what it what what they look like. What they, 
you have to see them to know what it looks like. But this one is what I do best to illustrate in what's a computing cluster it is, right? So it's basically a bunch of computers putting together, we call them compute node. And then when you use them, you are not going to access any one of the compute node directly. But we have a set of what we call a login node. And the user will access login node. And through there, you will describe in your problem and your, you want to solve and send them back to your compute node. Now our compute node will have access to much larger uh, storage resources as well and to support those computations, okay? Um, so this is more or less the traditional architecture about the HPC clusters. Um, there's something, there's some problem this type of uh, distribution is, and, uh, is really good for, but it's not necessarily good for the big data analysis. So what really starting the big data analysis is what we call the MapReduce model. How many of you heard about the MapReduce model before, before you come to this class? Okay. So it's actually less than I thought. <laughs> I thought by today, there's maybe that's a model everybody know of already. So how, how many of you heard about the Hadoop before you attending this class? What about Spark? Okay. Great, so you will learn a lot after this set of lectures. Um, so the MapReduce model is a really, a it's what they call the programming models. So I want to remind you, MapReduce model itself is not a software tools, it's not a, a particular libraries, but it's a programming models, it's a concept, it's a paradigm uh, in the computer science terms. So it's a first proposed by Google's and it's a practical solution they were using trying to indexing all the web page, the crowd every day to be able to make the Google search engine so much more effectively. Um, now it's serving as a, a platform for the customized computations over large scale of the data. So the MapReduce models, the, the name is, uh, you can see from the English words, it comes about a two word. One is map and one is reduce. Uh, so those two words captures the, the two core ideas or core functions in this model. So one is the map functions, uh, it, which is uh, you give an input to the map function, the map function will generate some output in a similar format. Um, then there's a reduce function, where it's uh, like you give an input uh, um, pairs and it's trying to reduce the volume of the input into something much smaller. Um, so basically, in the distributed computational world, the map corresponding to each individual workers. So each 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 individual workers will do some processing task and try to process um, uh, process the input data into something else. And then the reduce is a different type of workers are collecting the results of many many of the uh, worker map map workers and trying to combine those results into something smaller more compact and more close to your final solutions. Um, in addition to these two core functions, and there's another key concept that in the MapReduce model is this concept of key value pairs. Um, so key value pairs is really as the name specified, it's a pair like, like what you can see from here. Uh, the map input is a two value, the first one we call key, and the last one we call values. Uh, you may think from as an ID and the, the, the data, but in reality, it doesn't necessarily to be that way. So the key could, 
could be numerical, could be text, could be anything, any data type. It could be object, vice versa with the value. Value could be something simple or, or could be something very complex. Um, but what why MapReduce from this format is this format is gives a uniform abstraction how the data can be described throughout your big data processing pipeline. Okay. Um, so this is a typical um, kind of the processing diagrams about how a MapReduce program works. Um, so as we as we mentioned, there's a three three key concept: the key value pair. So we can assume all the input data of your big data has been represented by a list of the key value pairs. Then we put key value pair into a multiple map uh, workers uh, doing map tasks. So they transform your input key value pair to something else. Then those results being processed again by other workers that run the reduced task. So the, at, the, at the end, eventually you will get your final solutions. Okay. Any questions so far? Okay. So it's, everything seems clear and simple, right? That's good because that's a, that's the basic ideas about memory deals is to make the uh, big data analysis easier and uh, um, and transparent for the users. Yes. Probably is a question for the next class, but uh, all the problems related with information or data can be resolved with MapReduce, or there is a, a new ways. Okay. Um, so I introduced MapReduce as the basic problem models. So this is the first problem model that successfully solved the big data problem. The paper was uh, published in 2007. So that's where, when, since then, I had to uh, been implemented and been used in many of the solutions. But now uh, people keep advancing them. So MapReduce model is still one of the basic models. But if you, but tomorrow we will talk about the Spark. So I will specifically talk about how the MapReduce model being evolved into something Spark use now, right? Um, so there's a lot of key concepts, like MapReduce, that concept, and the key value parallel concept, that actually being preserved in the Spark program model as well. But now program Spark using a different program model than the MapReduce for, for the purpose of making things even simpler and even more efficient, right? So, but it's like when you learn a mathematics, you start with some basics, and then you realize the model can be more and more complex. So the MapReduce is like those one of the basic building blocks at the very low levels there. Um, so for today, you will see, I don't really expect you guys, so my goal for this, particularly for this lecture, is to give you that basic introduction concept. It's like teach people, and you want to teach people from, uh, uh, minus plus operation before you jump onto multiply and the division things. And tomorrow when we talk about more about Spark, you will see there's a more operation that being added into the models that make things to, to handle more complex situations, right? But back to your question, if you really want to, there, I think all the big data problem can be solved by the MapReduce model. It's just a more basic, you just need more programming efforts to it. And, and capture your problem into that way, and you can solve them. Um, Spark does offer an easier way for you to get to your final solutions. Okay, so let's revisit the examples of WordCamp with MapReduce. Um, 
so we call the promise so we want to read uh, the text file and the, the output will be uh, the unique word and the, how many times the word appeared in the text document, right? Um, so we def so in the MapReduce solutions, we will define the map um, uh, the, the two functions, the my function and the reduce functions. Uh, so the my function uh, take your input uh, or whatever gave to that functions and it will produce a key value pair. So in this case, uh, the key is actually the word itself. And the value is how many times the word appeared uh, in, uh, in the input. Uh, and then the reduce function will take the output from many, many of the mappers and then they will reduce them based on this key and the generating say how many, uh, for this key, how many times, how many workers reported a count number and I will sum them together, right? It still seems very simple ideas. It's just the, the, the map is basically what you will do in a single thread applications. You do a scan of your input and generating word and count. And then the actual is just a reduce. Assuming we have multiple workers now, and we need to collecting those results and putting them together, right? Um, so this is a more uh, illustration examples. Um, I'm not sure if in the back you can see this one clearly, uh, but what this one see is on the left side is an input. Uh, so in this case, you can think about input is only contains three line. Uh, for each line, there's a three word in there. So the first line is the deer, bear, and the river, and then car, car, river, and deer, cat, uh, car, and the bear, bear. Um, so in the MapReduce processings, uh, since we're talking about the distributed processings, and we will split the data uh, into, say, three, uh, three workers, then three workers will go through the three mapping process. So this is the input for the map process, and this is going to be the output from my process. Uh, so that each my function will generate and say, hey, for my input, I have one deer, one bear, and one river here, right? Then after it's uh, all the uh, uh, map uh, function reporting the results, uh, then they go through an internal shuffling phase, and then grouping them based on the key. Uh, so now you see after shuffling, all the keyword pairs with the same key are basically put into the same group. Then for each of the key, they are going to send to the reduce process to generate final result and putting them together. So at the end, you can say, hey, in this uh, output, I have two bear and one car, uh, and the two deers and two re and one river, or something like that, okay? So is this clear? Okay. Um, so, so that's kind of the example illustration of the, how the problem being solved. Um, we can look some more details on how implementation-wise uh, this can be implemented using the MapReduce framework here. Uh, so we talk about we need to define two types of the functions, the mapper and the reduce functions, uh, to make a MapReduce uh, uh, map uh, program. Um, so this is examples that implement in Java. So this is the actual code here. So um, if you do not know Java well, that's fine. So the purpose here is just trying to illustrate how simple the programming can be done with MapReduce. Um, so we call the map function is a maps input into a set of the new key value pairs. So this is just the, the standard way how we define a class in, 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 uh, in Java. And basically we want to develop, uh, define our own map class here. And this is a core function that's being done. 
Um, if you look at them clearly, it's really just two, two things. One is to token to split your strings for by each word. Then for each word, it will just write the word uh, itself and uh, a value one out. So it's it's just it's like people reading the line and just re repeat to say the first word bear bear one car one river one. So it's very simple very uh, boring processing here. And you, if you take off all the standard definitions, you only need these two lines to define what task it is. Um, and, then, and then here is the reducers. So recall the reducers will take uh, not a key value pair, but a key with a list of values. So those are the values that already, uh, those are the, so, so the first collecting all the key value pairs sharing the same key and sort of merging them into one key and a list of values. So, th so all those values are reported by some mapper to say, I have seen this key with this value. So we basically put them together. So if the reduce take this format, and then what it does is even simpler, is I just need to go through the list of values that gave to me and sum them together, then at the end I will get the, the sum of the count from all the mappers for a particular key. So at the end, it will write the key, which is a word here, and basically the final result on how many times we have seen that word across all the mappers, okay? Um, so down to the end, the core operation for the map is really just two lines, and the, the um, operation for the reduce is just just really just a one line of some of them together. And in the Java's and the all these are standard template for the MapReduce main functions, and you only need to specify, I want to use the map class I just defined as a mappers, I want to use the map class I want to define as a reducers, then you are basically done with your first Java MapReduce uh, programming code here. So, so how many of you are lost? No? How many of you think this is a simple programming? Some of you, <laughs> okay. So, so okay. So, uh, so so think about like if without MapReduce, you need to think, you need to tell the uh, program how we can um, split the input data, how many we want to split, and then you want to tell the program uh, how we do the mapping process, which is the same mappers we are defined. Um, and then you need to also define how the shuffling process done to collecting them, gather them before pass to the reduce part. And then you also need to define how the reduce generating the final output. Uh, so what the map reduce really does is to take all those things away from your considerations, right? So when you're writing a program, when I just show the three functions, what we're really concerned is really just a mapping function, what we are going to do. And, and, and in the reduce function, what we are going to do. And we don't really specify how we're going to, space, uh, to split our input data and how we're going to collect in the result from the older mappers and how we're going to generate in the final result here. So that's basically the core ideas of the MapReduce and the many, many other uh, big data processing framework trying to do is to simplify uh, what they call the background system processing was just the, the core processing, the analysis uh, really needed, right? Um, so it separates the parallel process 
from the analysis. For the developers, and you only need to consider in what's the logic, uh, logic processing you need to be done, and which part belong to the mapping part, which part belong to the reduce part. Um, and then the rest of the uh, uh, computational distribution shuffling that all handled by the system itself. Okay. Um, so how many of you think this is a simple? Just you. <laughs> so how many of you? Yes. Do you have questions or? Okay. Uh, how many of you complete feel completely lost or want to ask questions? It's a good time to do that now too. Good. Okay. Um, so for people who think are simples. So when, so the question is, uh, where exactly is a parallelism when we talk about distributions? How the data split happens in the MapReduce program world, right? And then how we assign the worker to each of the process. So while those are the being handled by the systems, that's also define the difference between different type of the big data processing framework. So you have the Hadoop as a MapReduce models, and you have Spark uh, as their RDDE models. And so each of those programming framework will handle those details in a, in a little bit of different ways. Okay. Um, so in the Hadoop type of the work, uh, work um, when we pre when I, um, when I show you in the previous examples, and I purposely hiding this part with a big error, just trying to simplify the processings. But between the map and the, the reduce process, there's a lot of processing going on belongs to part of the MapReduce uh, paradigms and trying to implement it and trying to define that workflows for use. Um, then it's left with the users only need to consider in the map and reduce. And also for the um, um, for the input and for the split, it's actually not really defined in the case uh, MapReduce. It's not really defined by the computation itself, how you want to split them, but by how many data splits you have. So the data splits was being determined the moment you put the data into the MapReduce systems rather than in the later process. Okay, so, so still the MapReduce uh, is a good, simple solutions, but it's representing many of the good ideas in the big data processing that being used in all the programming uh, framework here. Um, so to summarize, one of the things is uh, why we want to do those type of uh, abstraction is uh, we want to enable what we call the scale out instead of scale up. So we can separate the analysis and we let the system to handle how many data split, how many computational, how, how many way we want to distributing them. So we can later easily adding new machines, adding new node into our cluster. Then we don't need to rewrite our analysis function. Our analysis function, in fact, can work on one node or work on a thousand node. So that's one of the uh, major characteristics and major difference between big data type of application versus a lot of existing HPC application where you need to know how you want to split your data, how many, what type of infrastructure you are trying to run. Um, so the MapReduce models is trying to make the scale out more easily and it's trying to hide in a lot of system details from the users. So the code is more uh, transferable between the system and between different stages of the system. 
and also can you, you can developing your MapReduce, Hadoop, or Spark type of application on your laptop, and then later you can push them into a large clusters like the entire or using Amazon's, and they should still work, right? Um, so it makes a, a development simpler for the developers, and make the uh, make the uh, later it can be easy to scaling out into larger uh, uh, infrastructures. Um, and the other other things uh, MapReduce trying to do is uh, is more in the system side because now for the users you don't really need to consider a lot of low level details how your data being stored how your data being split uh, that all handled by the system so it gave the uh, chances for the system developer people who developing at the bar to put a lot of thoughts on how we can optim optimizing the data flow, what's the best way to store the data, and what, what, how, we de uh, how we can dynamically determine the compute, uh, uh, the, which data to compute with, right? Uh, so one of the things that, uh, as a result of that, is uh, one is uh, instead of the constantly trying to move in data from, the node to from one node to another node, um, the program, the framework, is trying to keep the data movements at the minimum, and but trying to bring the computation to the data all the time. So they are instead of like moving, say this mapper needs this data, they will say do this mapper on this data where the where the data st stays, on the node where that data stays, um, and then they can using a different way to optimizing the data storage as well. They can store the data that constantly used together in sequential orders and. In the later uh, uh, frameworks, there's you can also introduce the compressions and to make the data retrievals much more efficient. And all those is hidden from the final developers. Where when you're writing your code, you don't really need to consider in or have to put too much thoughts on whether I need to decompress my data at the time of the processing. Okay, okay so so the uh, Hadoop starts as a uh, so the so the MapReduce is a really good basic model as a solution to the big data problems. Um, then the Hadoop is the first uh, uh, open source implementation that is successfully implementing these models in uh, using Java's. Um, so the uh, MapReduce was proposed by Google's. Do you know who actually did the implementation of the Hadoop? Which companies? Anyone knows? Did I hear Yahoo? Yeah, you're right. So, uh, so, so Google, by the end of 2007, I think Yahoo is a still a big company in search engines. So they actually did the first implementation of the open source implementation of the Hadoop. Now Hadoop is spinning off into three different companies now, and all of them came out spinning off from Yahoo as, as well. Um, so so MapReduce is a programming model itself. Uh, it's only defined the interface and how the computation should be done. The Hadoop is the one actually do also implementations. Um, um, then now the Hadoop is not only just one library or one Java library or one tools you can use. So Hadoop is more uh, evolved into what we often refer as a Hadoop ecosystem or sometimes we call the big data ecosystems. Uh, in a typical setup, and where you can see it's uh, uh, all 
like all the yellow, the two bottom part is a core components of the Hadoop. So there are two components. One is HDFS, which stands for the Hadoop distributed file systems, and then YARN. YARN is a resource managers and to manage basically managing where the data stores and how different mappers work and how they start in them. Then on top of those. There's a lot of the <clears throat> different applications, big data-oriented application, can be built on top of those to take advantage of the HDFS and to take advantage of the resource management there. Um, so, for example, like Spark, initially it will it is built it is developed as an application set on top of the HDFS. Now the Spark can you can run them as standalone uh, uh, cluster as well. But you can also run them on a existing Hadoop clusters. The HDFS till today is still one of the most efficient open source way for people to store store large scale of data in a distributed way. Um, so I, I introduced the HPC cluster before. Um, this is typical structures. The Hadoop clusters, when we implement as the infrastructures. Uh, it's a similar, it has a compute node, it has a login node, um, but also it has a, a set of the special, what we call the service node, uh, including name node and some of the resource manager node. And, and uh, if you have additional, like those applications you want to have, then each of the applications usually will have a dedicated node in your cluster to run more effectively. Um, so all in all, it's a similar to the HPC existing HPT clusters, um, but one of the big difference is uh, in the previous one, you know, typical structures, we have a data stored separately from the computations. Uh, in the Hadoop clusters, there's no separate data storage, uh, but all the data are stored either, com either, name, uh, either uh, compute node, so where your computations will happen on, only on the data stored on node. So how the cluster know where the data stored is actually managed by this, this special node called the names node. The name node essentially is like a, a big database to keep indexing on which node has which data from what file. And, and the most time, the, your uh, big data is being uh, split into different blocks and uh, stored across the, all the data nodes you have. So that way you can have maximum uh, um, parallelisms when you're trying to run a MapReduce program. So, so that's a three kind of main nodes, the name node, date node, and the service node here. Um, so in the next several slides, I want to quickly introduce the two major components of the uh, Hadoop cluster, the HDFS and the YARN. Um, for the HDFS, it's done for Hadoop distributed file system here. Um, now, I think even the MapReduce model became used uh, less and less as analysis models, but HDFS are still used a lot for people to uh, store them. And uh, um, it's a basically a kind of the generic file systems and to help to store, uh, give you efficient uh, storage or multiple nodes. Um, there are several, uh, uh, um, advantage of the HDFS. Um, one of the things is uh, it has a strong fault tolerance potentials. Um, because your data, when you put in your data into the HDFS systems, the data be going to be automatically split and stored across your clusters. And during that process, they often going to also to be replicated. 
So for example, a default Hadoop clusters will automatically make two more copies of your data. So if you have one terabyte data you want to put into the HDFS, at the end, your HDFS may, may spend in three terabytes data in using all of its nodes to store all those data. So one, uh, that duplication is necessary. So one is uh, for uh, the process, when we do the duplication processing, we have more, uh, we have potentially more parallelisms can, we can add on. Uh, and the other one is uh, we can have a stronger the fault tolerance. And if one copy of my data uh, goes bad or the node has my, some of my data goes bad, uh, I can replace that node with a new one then the system can actually recover the, the block from other nodes uh, has a duplication of, the, of your data in there. So think about it as a sort of a self backup mechanism as well. Um, so that's, uh, if you are more from the user point of view, you may care less as long as your data is there, but that's actually much more important for a service providers, right? So we don't want to say attack, a user come to us to say, oh, my data is gone because your hard drive go bad, right? So in the Hadoop clusters, and if one hard drive go bad, um, the chances are they can easily recover from other copies still in the in the systems. Um, so the Hadoop, uh, so, so the uh, Hadoop uh, HDFS is like a separate file systems uh, from your normal file systems. You can install Hadoop on your laptop or on the clusters, but in both cases, your HDFS is being isolated from the regular file system you normally can see. Um, so the Linux, in the Linux file systems, or uh, the HDFS file, has, uh, file system has its own set of command where you can see the data stored in there, the status about them. Uh, so we call them uh, Hadoop uh, FS uh, file system command. Um, they run through the file system shell. And to start them, you need to give the Hadoop as the executables uh, and the FS as the main uh, a flag uh, and then followed by the command. And all the commands are very similar to the Linux command you will using, like say, your listing directory is ls in the Linux command lines. Uh, you do the same with the Hadoop file systems. And similarly, I can make directories and you can do make there. Um, just give the prefix of Hadoop FS dash uh, make there there, okay. Um, so there's a lot of the uh, Hadoop uh, file, uh, Hadoop file uh, command being implemented in the uh, HDFS, so you can easily use them, or some you don't have to know them beforehand. Just uh, if you normally use them, uh, some command you use them in the Linux, and you can chances are you will find them in the Hadoop file system, anyways. Um, so the Hadoop file system is a separate file system there. So later, if you get chance to access our Hadoop file uh, systems. If you do ls uh, on the root directories, you will see we have three high-level directories. So the temp is basically for public data. Uh, for our cluster, we have some uh, public data stored in there, or anyone can write some temporary data in there as well. And then the user directory is uh, automatically to be all the uh, home directory, where the home directory for all the users at. The war directory is mostly used by Hadoop system to store the intermediate data and the different log files. Um, some of the uh, key commands and or special command you need to use, firstly, is to, it's a separate file system, so it's not directly communicate or do not share with your existing file system. So you do need to get your data 
in and out this file system, right? So to get data in, you can use this put command. It's basically trying to copy some data from your local file locations into some locations inside your HDFS. If you're more like a Windows user, think about this is a way to copy your file from C drive to D drive or to E drive. It's just, in this case, you have to go through the Hadoop file shell for them to be able to see each other's. Um, so similarly, to get something out from your HDFS, you do fs-get, so that's a command to get your file out from the file systems. Um, also, these are some uh, commonly used uh, file systems. A command like cat is a very easy uh, way. If you're processing text data within the clusters, you don't have to copy your data out, copy your text file out. You can directly see some of what's the content of the cat. Um, just using the dash cat command, it will do the same. As if you downloading your data out of your HDFS to your local file system, then run the cat functions. Um, if you just do Hadoop FS without giving any flag on which exact command you're trying to run, it will show your list of the currently implemented command. So you can, it's sort of like a manual. You can read through all the commands uh, uh, included in there, okay? So this is a more like a system, like a lot of command line, uh, uh, just a lot of commands there. So hopefully uh, very soon you can have access to the cluster and you can just uh, do some practice. Um, the other key piece is uh, resource management, and uh, in the Hadoop is called the YARN. This stands for yet another resource negotiators. Um, this is might be uh, foreign to you, but for if you're doing HPC or any way, anything related with distributed computations, uh, the resource management and which node, which user getting which, and which task getting which kind of resources is a big deal in general. So. Um, so that's why the name comes. And there's many of the implementation how the resource resource can be managed in a distributed environment. Um, so Yarn is the one that implemented with Hadoop, um, trying to be made specifically to optimizing for the MapReduce type of the workflows. Um, um, in here, some basic things you can do is um, you can submitting jobs. Let's say if you want to. The, uh, to run a job of your process sum of data in the HDFS, and you can send, you can tell the Hadoop clusters, I want to run this job, um, and then that request goes to Yarn, and the Yarn will put them into a queue, and when the resource is available, they will start to run that. And through the Yarn, you can also see your job status uh, by Yarn application and list your jobs. Um, and then if something goes wrong with your job, you can kill your jobs or you can also see all the com uh, completed jobs uh, in this class, uh, you have running on these clusters. Um, there are also uh, two commands help you to know better about those uh, cluster status. Uh, one is yarn node. Um, if you follow by the dash list, it will give you a list of the current uh, number of nodes running in your cluster. And uh, sometimes some node may go bad and it will also show in that list um, may need a, 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 a sysadmin's attention or you may need a wire of those. Um, and then the other command is a yarn logs. Um, so basically this one is uh, important if you um, try to debugging your file, your programs, and if something goes wrong, um, you, it, 
Although the idea of the battery deals is to you developing your code on your laptop, it will run equally well with a thousand of nodes, but chances in the practice is always something pops up. Um, your file not found, or in certain node, or certain node doesn't have the correct format, or certain exceptions. Uh, so that's where the young logs, it's a command where you can really dig in through all those uh, Hadoop logs and find out where the problem exactly happens. Um, so the yarn command is more for uh, people who has a certain knowledge about Hadoop already and trying to really do some advanced development of that. Um, so if you're just started with the big data and you can just uh, practice more with, with HDFS, it's a very useful file system. It's like you, a uh, Windows user, you may want to get to know Linux. So it, you can treat the HDFS as that way as a different system, basic system and a file system for the Hadoop clusters. Okay. Okay, so um, so the Hadoop, the HDFS and the YARN are the two basic components of the Hadoops. Uh, once you get on a Hadoop clusters or just with your, uh, how you can run a applications. Um, so the basic format will be, in the command line way will be, you do Hadoop jar, then followed by your Hadoop class. So this is the Java way to run. This is Java ways to run it. Um, and it's a similarly, if you try to run them from Python or from other language. Um, what Hadoop does is a basically like a wrapper on the Java, uh, execute, uh, Java virtual machines. Um, and all your MapReduce uh, uh, code, if you're implementing in the Java or in the Scala, uh, it will be, uh, or using other language, it might be converted into a jar file that can be run. So this is if you, uh, replace Hadoop with the Java, this is just a standard way how a Java applications can be run. Okay. Um, so in this sense, the Hadoop application is no difference than a regular Java applications. Um, so the, um, if you can get access to the Hadoops, uh, the Hadoop distribution also comes with the example jar files. So that jar file including a list of examples that pre-built by the Hadoop developers. Uh, in where the, the word count is one of the examples, um, you can call that, uh, you can try with that word count examples and to see how the processing flow looks like. Um, so this slide gives uh, the basic syntax. Um, so this is a jar file that comes with the examples uh, with your Hadoop distributions and followed by the word count uh, Java class name and the set of parameters you want to give to your Hadoop jobs and to start to run that process. Uh, in our clusters, the output looks like this. Uh, there are some like log file out here and then all here is a uh, tells you the progress of the MapReduce uh, 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 processing. So you will see something like a map 10%, map 20%, reduce 10%, reduce 20%. Then at the end you will see it's successfully done, but you won't see directly result output. Um, so in all the Hadoop uh, applications, uh, your input is a file somewhere in the HDFS, and your final output usually is also a, uh, a file somewhere on your HDFS. So it will store your data in some type of output directory. Uh, so in this case, um, I think we actually specify that as, as, as the last parameters here. So you cannot see them directly from the line from command line, you have to, uh, from standard out screens, you have to go to the HDFS and to see where your data is stored there, okay? 
Um, so here are some details on, the, on how the Hadoop cluster actually run the job. So we mentioned Yarn is a resource manager. It's the one that's responsible for to starting all those coordinations of your job runnings. Um, so in a MapReduce job like uh, word count, uh, what will happen is uh, uh, word count is uh, the MapReduce job we are trying to run, and then we submitting this into, so we, from the user node, and then we first submit that job request to the resource manager node, so that's where Yarn lives, and then Yarn will uh, check with the node manager, coordinate uh, with the node managers uh, to find out what are the available resources or where your data file is best to be run. Then it will generating uh, a list of the, would, uh, generating a new uh, process called application managers, which used to uh, sort of oversee your, your particular application instance. That application managers will generating a lot of more parsers like different mappers, different reducers, and it will be responsible for tracking the progress of those and getting, getting the result of those. Uh, so a lot of the output you'll see from the output here are uh, generated by these application managers. Uh, and sometimes if one of the mappers goes wrong, uh, the application managers can also automatically restart that particular mappers. So in the end, your program may still go through. Um, so that happens to if you you if you program running to some random error like a memory or 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 a temporary network spike and cause some kind of timeout. So that already can be automatically solved by the application masters here. Uh, but if there's something wrong as a bug inside the code or something wrong just doesn't work with your data, uh, that won't be solved here. Um, your job may still just fail. Okay. Um, so this this is a general process on how uh, from you run something like a Hadoop jar, something to submit the job to Yarn, and how Yarn decide which resource to do, and what other process uh, be generated to run your job there. Okay. Um, okay, so 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 those are kind of a quick introduction about how the Hadoop cluster being formed. You have the HDFS at the bottom as a storage managers, and then you have the Yarn as this resource and the job managers to coordinating all of those jobs there. Um, if we go back to the MapReduce paradigms, and what we find is uh, if we are only going to define the map and the reduce process here, um, the rest of them are being handled by the systems. So MapReduce, in the previous example, we're using Java to implementing them but we actually can use any other language to implementing them or to have them to be interfaceable with other uh, programming language, yes? Right, so you, you have some control on how you want to split the input. Uh, there are also the default settings. So remember when you do Hadoop FS pull something inside the HDFS, so when the moment you run that command, um, you the Hadoop system will split your data into different blocks, uh, put them into the different nodes already, right? So for example, by default, you have one terabyte of data you want to store inside your Hadoop clusters with 10 nodes. Uh, that one terabyte data may be first being uh, divided into a number of the 128 megabytes blocks, and then each node will sequentially getting one block and store them in there. 
right? So you have control on instead of using 128 megabytes. By the time when you copy the data in, you want to say I want to divide them into 256 or even larger or smaller. Um, there are also duplication factors you can control by the time you are putting your data into the HDFS. Um, so this data splitting is not happened at the time you are running your MapReduce program. It's happened at the time when you ingest your data into, into your Hadoop clusters. Okay. Um, your map and reduce program should work regardless how your data being split, right? Um, it's just a matter of how efficient they are. So sometimes you may want to split them more, so you have more workers can work on them. And sometimes you may exactly too many, maybe introducing too much overhead to it as well. Okay. Um, so go back to what I'm trying to introduce is. Uh, um, since the MapReduce is just a functional analysis, and you can actually implement them in different ways. Um, one of the Hadoop um, support is called the Streaming API. So the Streaming API itself is a MapReduce program. What it does is, is it allows you to specify a, another program or, in, um, or executable as a mapper or as a reducers, and you can shape those uh, mapper reducer to each of the node, and you just run the local processing in there. Uh, and then, as long as they generating the data to the standard out, so the Hadoop can capturing them, then that would be fine. So essentially, you can write your map reduce map function and reduce function using Python, using R, using other language, and then. You can chain them. You can chain them together using the Hadoop streaming APIs. Um, so in the examples we have is a, we have an example on using Bash. So Bash is a, the just basic a, a very basic scripting language comes with all the Linux systems there uh, to implement the map code. Uh, so if you know a little bit about Bash, uh, this is basically goes through an input line and we're splitting them based. Uh, um, by space, and then they will printing out for each word, uh, the word itself, and a one into the standard out. Um, you can actually run this on your Linux command, uh, on, the, on your uh, terminal windows, and it should run by itself, so you give input, you can see the in, you output as I say, the, the first word, one, second word, one, third, third word, one. Right, so the similarly you can do the reduce code. Reduce code where you assume the input is a uh, is a list of the input coming from the same key, and you just uh, adding them together. And then later you just uh, uh, print out the, the key and then the the sum of the input there's. You can do similar implementation using Python using R, uh, and then you can put them together to tell them say, hey, in this case I want to using this particular files as my mapper and using these particular files as my reducers, then I can run the MapReduce program as well. So this is gives you a possible ways that you can use in your existing executable or, or uh, analysis that has been implemented with a different language and to get easily into the Hadoop clusters as well. Okay. Um, so we talked about a little bit about the parallelism in the H in the Hadoop and the HDFS. Um, so in the input in the example I'm showing here, I do have a specify on how many tasks I want and how much reduced tasks I want. So this is one parameters you can pass to the Hadoop applications. And the, but 
uh, Hadoop applications not always use exactly what you specify because the parallelism in the Hadoop is also depends on two things. One is uh, how many data split you have, right? Imagine if you have really small data, it doesn't need to be split into many places. Then if you say, I want to use one thousand mapper, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. The Hadoop will still just use one mapper because the data is too small. We only have one block of the data split there, right? Um, and the other thing is uh, the computational resources, right? So even you have a very big data, and then, but you only have, say, a small cluster, like 16 node, you give 1,000 mappers, you just physically do not have enough cores to generating that number of the mappers. Um, so it may be limited by the, your actual computational resources that are being um, available to there. Um, so think about the request you gave, like my task is something you may think of as ideal uh, map and reduce process you would like to run that may be ideal to your application. Um, then the Hadoop system will automatically adjusting them based on what's the actual data split and what's the actual computational resources you had in your clusters and to make it happen. So it won't just give you the error to say, oh, you we don't have enough node and we don't have enough memory to run this many, then you need to adjust each time. So you can fix your parameters. It will adjust automatically based on different uh, uh, infrastructure or different resources, okay? Um, okay, so there um, also, um, um, a number of the, uh, so this, this one is a talk about the data split. Um, so you have the input data split, so the number of actual mappers created is limited by the actual data blocks being generated there. Um, and also on the output side is uh, what the Hadoop application does is uh, each reducer will generating its output independent to each other's, right? So uh, if you get a chance to practice even with the word count, uh, you will see if you're using one reducer, you may just get in one file output and all the things what was in there. But if you're using, say, 256 reducers, you will end up with 256 um, files inside your output directories. Because the reducers always generating the file independent, generating result independent and write an independent uh, uh, result file out. Um, so the, in addition to the data split, the other thing is the actual computational resources. Um, so let's go back to a little bit more details how Yarn works. So Yarn will query the, uh, the, the resource managers and to get in the list of the free uh, resources. Uh, and for your map and reduce task, you can also specify, say, for my map task, I need a two gigabytes memory or four gigabytes, map, four gigabytes memory. Uh, then the Yarn will be dividing uh, the memory and the, and the comp uh, computational cores within the each compute node into different size of containers. So hopefully those can be used to fit into different map, reduce, map task or reduce task. So, so sometimes say your map task may um, use nice memories, uh, but more cores, so they might be able to still fit in and to be run at the same time concurrently with other map or reduce task. Um, so this part, uh, it's very hard to say uh, what to decide is really depend on the applications and depend on the resources you have. Um, so it's a, a very quite complicated issues. Uh, if you know well about your application and your resources, you may come with a, a set of optimal settings. 
Uh, but the good thing with Hadoop cluster is uh, even you don't know, it will, based on some limitation, still make your program runnable and you can give you the result. It's, now it's just a matter of the tuning to getting the best possible performance out. Um, to get that best possible performance, there is actually a long, long list of the different parameters you can control, you can specify. Uh, here, what I'm listing is just a, a few very commonly used that you can control, basically number of mapper, number of reducers, and the memory required, mini memories, and the maximum memory required for each task. So all those things helps Yarn to decide what's the best parallelisms for your particular application on these particular clusters there. Um, but if you look at the documentation, there, there, the list is, goes on, and there's more parameters you can actually control how the process uh, can be done. Okay. Okay. So, so I know this is a lot of information to introduce. So hopefully, uh, we can have get chance to get some hands-on to it. Uh, to get started, if you are really interested, want to invest in more with Hadoop, uh, you can do a local installations, and you can just go to the Apache website and downloading and unzip them. It should be fairly straightforward to install. Um, you, we can also install the Hadoop in your clusters. Um, so to do it locally, the only thing I want to uh, mention is that you need the Java 8 for it to work well. If you have Java 10, some part may not work well, very well. And you do need the SSH to support the uh, Hadoop clusters. Uh, to do a sudo uh, cluster installation on a single node is fairly straightforward, and you can practice and run all the examples. Um, if you are interested in using our resources, we currently mentioned we have Wrangler for the data intensive computations. So one of the specials about the Wrangler is so we have this uh, really fast flash disk that mounted on the Wranglers that we can use to generate the Hadoop clusters dynamically. Uh, so the typical process is that we create Hadoop reservations that start in Hadoop clusters, then you access your Hadoop reservations, and then for these classes, we already generating that uh, reservation already, so there's a Hadoop cluster already running on the Wrangler uh, cluster here. Um, so at the beginning of my sessions, we gave you a piece of the white paper, uh, on the top is a training account with a training name is something like a train 250 or train 300 or something. Um, then it's a password and a, a tokens. Uh, so um, Carlos also mentioned the install the SSH client. So if you have the SSH client and have the credentials, one thing you can do is you can do SSH with your credential and the to wrangler.tech.du.texas.edu. Uh, that, if it's go as expected, it will allow you to log on to our login node in our clusters. And from there, remember the architecture is that you're not directly on the compute node yet, right? To get inside the Hadoop clusters, you need to run another job. And the easiest one is to do is what we call the iDive. Uh, it's submitting a job to the Wrangler managers to requesting one node and using this Hadoop reservation, so that's where the Hadoop cluster lives. Uh, this one will requesting one compute node from, from the Hadoop clusters. So if this one runs fine, you will see it's a command line prop, uh, but it's on one of the compute node there. Um, then if you see that, then you're inside our Hadoop cluster. Uh, a lot of examples I mentioned in my slides, um, 
we have them on our cluster as well. Uh, you can later go to this uh, address. Uh, that maps to a web page with uh, uh, different exercises and then uh, try and walk through you. First, you can copy our examples into your home directories, and then you can practice some of the uh, FS command there. Um, if we have time, let me quickly show this. Yeah, so, so this is a, a simple page, so on the top, um, it's some uh, important things for you to copy uh, the example directories into your home directories, and you can go that directories to start to, to uh, do this. Uh, and also there's a, a, a scripts, and you may want to run, to run first to make sure the Java pass or setting correctly. Uh, then we block, uh, we have a several block of potential exercise. We suggest you to try. So the first one is about the Hadoop file uh, system command. It's a different thing to a uh, different command, so you can put some example data and into your into the Hadoop cluster instance. Uh, then, then the second one is to run the Hadoop applications from the example jars. We have the command here. We have the example command exact. Uh, so you may just need to copy paste this line into the command prompt and to try that examples. Okay. Um, so if you have time, uh, try to give it a try. If you have any question to access it, let me and Charlie now. So we will see if we can resolve them. Um, if you have more times, and we, I would like you to be able to go through those exercises when you got time this afternoon or in the next couple of days. Okay. Any other questions before we take a break? Yes, sir. Uh, can you go back to the, uh, the slide? You mean the slides? Yeah. Um, uh, what I was referring to was the slide with the instructions to get into uh, the platform. Yeah. Thank you. I suppose we can leave this open or post it somewhere so you can get access later. Okay. Any other questions I can answer now? Or we'll be here for the next couple of few days, so feel free to ask later. Mm -hmm.